is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, August 18th, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. Bruce Baldwin, Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenk are all working back in Bristol. I'm up in Lake George, New York, and I'll be headed to Williamsport on Saturday for the Little League Classic on Sunday Night Baseball this week. We've got the Washington Nationals against the Philadelphia Phillies. Before we go forward with this show, and it's a packed show today, uh, Taylor, you ran into a bear yesterday. I, I, you were sending out <laughs> videos of that. Uh, the bear was looked like a healthy bear, looked like it was a domesticated bear. A little scary for Dolly, your dog. Yeah, well, Dolly is a friend to all. She brings love and kindness to everyone she meets, and she tried to bring it to that bear. I walked out of my front door. Not unusual to see bears in my neck of the woods. Um, we probably get about one a week in our neighborhood, and I stepped out front, and I heard someone yelling off in the distance, and as soon as it registered with me, that person was yelling bear. I'm making eye contact with this bear about 10 feet away from me. So uh, Dolly, of course, lunges for the bear to try and kiss it or something. And then I, I dragged her back inside very quickly and then watched as it uh, dug through the trash and ate a children's book like a hot dog across the street. <laughs> yeah, that was what jumped out of me last night was you mentioning the, the, the bear devouring a children's book rather than a <laughs> child. So there is that upside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really are trash pandas. I mean, there, there were lots of people around. It was really unfazed. It just wanted the garbage and to, to get on its way. But it was it was a big bear for sure. And I was very scared. Man, well, hang in there. Uh, and, you know, Tough hopefully, uh, you know, that they'll relocate that bear because that uh, that that's that's something. As they say, that that was not a small bear that you sent on the video. All oh. right. We got uh, I mentioned we got a packed show today. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times will be here. Talk about the situation with Ronda Wander Franco, who's currently on the restricted list. And you'll talk about how the Rays will handle their pitching issues. We'll play the numbers game with Sarah Langs. We've got our weekly quiz with Todd Radom, who is this week's Forgotten Field, and a conversation with Carl Ravitch from Williamsport, where we will have the Little League Classic on Sunday night. A relatively light fair of games on Thursday, the Diamondbacks against the Padres. The Padres still trying to gather some momentum. They won on, th- on Wednesday, but then on Thursday, this is what happened. He swings, drills one, deep left center field. He knows he got all of it because he did, baby. Deep shot, left center. Fam's 12th of the season, and it's 2-0 Diamondbacks here in the fourth. From 98.7 Arizona Sports FM, Diamondbacks win that game 3-1. The Mets and the Cardinals, Pete Alonso tacking on some numbers. Alonso clocks one deep center field. Edmund back looks up. It is gone onto the grassy Berman straightaway center. It falls onto the natural batter's eye. A two-run home run for Pete Alonso. Now from WCBS, the Mets beat the Cardinals four to two. We are wondering if the Red Sox or the Angels or the Yankees, one of these teams that's on the fringe of the uh, American League wildcard chase, will have a run in them. Well. The Nationals took care of business on Thursday. Now the 0-2. Swing a line drive left center field. This is headed toward the gap. It's down. It's going by Yoshida and all the way to the fence. This is going to clear the bases. Racing home downs and Thomas into second with another two-run double is Joey Manessis. He's driven in five runs all by himself. The Nationals eight, the Red Sox one. What a ball game for Joey Manessis. That from the Nationals radio network, the Nationals go on to win that game 10-7. to And Julio Rodriguez had himself a big game. He already had four hits, 
when he came to the plate in the top of the eighth inning in Kansas City. Here's Julio Rodriguez, the stretch and the pitch. Swing and a fly ball, deep to left field, way back, going and going and goodbye baseball. Julio Rodriguez with a three-run blast, and he gives the Mariners a 5-4 lead here in the top of the eighth inning, his 20th home run of the season. It is Julio's first five-hit game of his young major league career. And he jumps on the first pitch from Hernandez and sends it way out to left field. Sarah Langs will have some perspective on Julio Rodriguez's last two days. Pretty impressive. Uh, The White Sox's Tim Anderson had a suspension reduced from six games to five games after his appeal. Uh, We, of course, saw Cleveland's Jose Ramirez have his suspension reduced from three games to two games. Dodgers against the Brewers late last night and before the game on the Dodgers uh, pregame show, Nomar Garciaparra predicted that Austin Barnes would hit a home run, which got a strong reaction from Jerry Harrison, given that Barnes carried a 123 average with zero homers going into the game. Listen to that exchange between those guys. Austin Barnes, I know he hasn't had one. Today, Austin Barnes goes deep. He hits one out. Come on, real AB. I tell you what, if the real AB goes deep tonight, I'm gonna get off this set. I'm gonna do push-ups right there. How many? Bucket. How huh? many? We'll talk about that later. Fifty, at least. Okay. All right. And this is what happened with the score zero-zero in the game. Fly ball to deep left field. That one is on its way, and it is gone. A home run. Austin Barnes' first home run of the year, and the Dodgers take a one-to-nothing lead. That was the only run in the game. Austin Barnes' first home run of the year. What a call by Nomar. And, of course, there had to be a payoff after the game with Jerry Harrison using his tie like a headband, and he was doing push-ups. Give a listen to that. Dodgers trying to make it 12 in a row. Jerry's pounding out the uh, the push-ups right now. Nomar, what do you think? He's doing pretty well. I mean, well, he said he was, like, doing push-ups. You know, good thing he's not doing the push-ups like the score. You know, usually doing what the score is because then he'd be one. How you feeling, Jerry? I feel amazing. <laughs> the call of the year by Nomar. I don't think there's any. If you're calling Austin Barnes with his first home run of the year in mid-August, that's something. Angel Dario Tejada Fabal, a prosecutor in the province of Paravia, told the AP that the investigation of the Rays all-star shortstop Wander Franco is open under the National Agency for Boys, Girls, Adolescents, and Family and Gender Violence Unit. He said the probe is in its early stages. Quote, this is a very delicate topic because there is a minor involved, football said. Uh, we're going to be talking, as I said, with Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times coming up here in a moment. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, we did the group of five preview on the College Game Day podcast yesterday with Reese Davis and Ryan McGee filling in for Pete Thamel. Um, they also talk about the uh, the messy blindside situation with uh, Michael Orr and the, the Tui family, um, if you're familiar with that. So good episode. You can watch it on YouTube and you could also listen to it wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. 
As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mark Topkin covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. Mark, how you doing? Doing all right. So uh, obviously, you know, the Rays, when, uh, when I talked to you earlier this year, it was a time when they were rolling, setting record success coming out of the gate. And now it's, it's hard to even know what to make of this team, uh, you know, as we move forward. Uh, before we get into spe- specifics about Wander Franco and about Shane McClanahan, the state of their pitching staff, just tell me what, you know, what you see in the Rays right now. Well, I, I think you see a team that's a lot different than it was at the start of the year, first of all, just the way the injuries have taken out, you know, three members of the starting rotation, three out of the top five, and they were without glass now for the first two months. So those, those five guys that we all wrote about in the spring, this is going to be the best raised rotation, maybe one of the best in baseball. They're never going to use the opener again. Yeah, that, they did not get one turn through the rotation with those five guys, Buster. So it shows you how, how the plans don't always match the reality, but I think you see a team of guys that, you know, as usual with the Rays, piece together. Uh, they've had to make some acquisitions. They kind of rebuilt the bullpen on the fly during the year when the younger guys weren't cutting it. Uh, and they're, they're trying to hang on here. I mean, they it, put it this way. You, you cover them and watch them play on a daily basis. And it's not you have to be reminded that they still have the third best record in the majors because they were so good early on and they've just been – struggling for quite a while here and, and you know that 5 and 15 July looked like it might the 5 and 15 start to July looked like it might really sink them and they turned it around toward the end uh they're I think 11 10 and 8 or 11 and 8 over the last couple of weeks now and uh feel like they've righted the ship a little bit but then as you just alluded to they've lost some pretty key pieces here in those last couple of weeks as well what is uh, as you know these guys drop off these star players have dropped off what do you see among the players in terms of dealing with this adversity what do you see in Kevin Cash and his staff and dealing with this adversity cuz no team <laughs> is used to change more than the Tampa Bay Rays because they manage payroll and you see guys come and go all the time but this feels like uh, an acute example of this for the, even for the Rays i think so and maybe the difference buster is that in a lot of that change that you've referenced to in the past, maybe it's been one or two big guys, but it's often been more of the, the on the on the margin, on the fringe. 
you know, they changed the, the uh, supporting cast. Uh, and then, you know, obviously there've been years when they have traded a big guy during the off season, but to have to make these kind of adjustments in season, that that's probably the big difference here. They're not typically a team that makes a big move or necessarily uh, gives up a good player during the middle of the season. They've done it at times. David Price is one. If you go back a number of years, but, to have to remake it on the fly this year and to have been in such a good position at the start of the year, that's what kind of stamps this differently. Now, I do think they've shown their ability to, you know, maintain that next man up. You asked about cash. I think the the benefit of that level, don't get too wrapped up in success uh, approach that he has where he's kind of just in the middle all the time. Consistency is probably his best strength. It really helps when you do have a turbulent time like this and there's so much tumult going on because he can maintain that same level of consistency there. And that probably provides a little bit of, of the leadership to get them through this and just having good players to step in. I mean, you know, a Slavis Basabe, who wasn't really on the radar for this year, we're supposed to do a one-day call-up, and now he's the starting shortstop pending Wander Franco status. So just to have those type of guys, uh, he wasn't the second string, he wasn't the third string. I'm not sure he was even the fourth-string shortstop if we would have done a depth chart at the start of the year, and here he is playing for them in mid to late August. All right. Uh, you referenced Wander Franco. Where do we stand as you and I speak with his status, with the investigation with him? Yeah, I mean, basically, it's it's very much a wait and see uh, approach right now, probably for all parties. I mean, you know, the Rays have, have said they're not going to comment beyond their statement. Wander Franco hasn't said anything beyond the, the Instagram live video that was made in the clubhouse before this all became public uh, on Sunday morning. But uh, Major League Baseball has launched a formal investigation. Uh, Wander and the Rays agreed to put him on the restricted list. Uh, he is getting paid, which is a little bit different than some other people who've been on the restricted list, but that's kind of a precursor to uh, anything that would be more of disciplinary. This is more of just kind of get him out of the out of the fray here. He's off the roster for now. And, and then um, the Dominican Republic authorities are also investigating. So there's basically two different investigations going on and waiting for a result of that. Now, we've seen some reports, we've seen some leaks, we've seen some sources that no sources that no sources claiming this, that, and the other, but there's so much that's unknown. This is a lot different than a case perhaps in the U.S. where there'd be a paper trail that through public records laws, you know, we as the media can kind of get uh, factual updates on. There's a lot here that's second and third hand. Uh, and just, and this is, uh, this part is just pure speculation, uh, just based on what we've seen in past cases involving players being investigated, the calendar does not work in his favor. It feels like these things take time. It would seem like it. And I agree with you. And, and that's why, you know, I think there'll be, I think Monday will be a marker in some sense because the agreement that he and the Rays made was one week on the restricted list through this road trip, which ends Sunday night in Anaheim. The Rays are off Monday. So a decision has to be made by Monday. Either enough has been done that he's allowed to return, which would seem maybe the least likely scenario, given the, the source reports have been this is going to be a complex investigation. Uh, the restricted list stay could be extended. Major League Baseball could shift him to administrative leave, which would probably be, based on their history, reflective of something else to come, disciplinary action to come sooner. Uh, so I, I think we'll have some type of update in some form on Monday, um, you know, do I think he's going to be on the field Tuesday at Tropicana Field playing against the Rockies? I mean, if you want me just to personally guess at this point, I, I think that seems unlikely just based on the complexity of, of this investigation on both levels, on both tracks. And, and which one, you know, gets resolved first, Major League Baseball's investigation or what the Attorney General and the Dominican Republic is looking into? 
All right. Uh, before you go, let's talk about the state of the rotation and the aftermath of all these injuries. Uh, it's it's hard to even fathom, like on a daily basis, how they they project uh, where they're going to get innings from as we move forward. To, uh, what what are they? How are they going to handle this? Well, what they're basically trying to do is get through August with a four man rotation. Uh, that's Tyler Glass now, who came back after he, he had his own issues. He missed. Uh, he got pushed back basically like six or seven days because of some back tightness. He was tremendous on Monday night in San Francisco. Zach Eflin, who's been really good all year, one or two uh, rough starts, but has been just an incredible signing for the Rays, a mark of consistency. Uh, they obviously were needed to add a pitcher at the trade deadline, and, and Aaron Savali yesterday had his best of his first three starts for the Rays. They probably wish they would have gotten two now, not knowing that McClanahan was going to go down a couple days later. And then, you know, you could argue in the in the short term, maybe the, the late July-August MVP for the Rays is Zach Littell, who's a guy they picked up off waivers, as a reliever and, and probably wasn't even necessarily sure or they weren't sure he was going to stick around all year as like that last guy in the bullpen and things evolve. And, you know, they said, Hey, you've started before. Can we stretch you out a little bit? Let's see where it leads. And he's become really good. Now he's made five starts or six starts and it's been really consistent. So they've got that, that foursome. Uh, they've got some off days to work with. They're actually going to go with a, even though they're off today, they could have pitched everybody in regular rest. They're actually going to go with a bullpen day Friday. They decided uh, and then give an extra day's rest. Here's the other thing. Once they get to September 1st, Buster, they play 17 straight days. Wow. I think 20, 24 out of 25 or 25 out of 26, but 17 in a row starting September 1st. I think you'll see uh, Taj Bradley, who's been back, sent down back to AAA to work on sequencing, work on pitch mix a little bit, work on his changeup a little bit. He's had a couple of good starts. I think you'll see him come back up and join that rotation sometime in that you know, September 1 through September 5 window, and they'll go back to a five-man at that point. Give me 45 seconds on this. We've had fun talking about the wild card races in both leagues and which teams might be most dangerous in the American League among the teams who are in the wild card race. Take the three current division winners out of it. Which team to you is the most dangerous going into October if they make the playoffs? I mean, I think you still got to figure out what Toronto's pitching is going to look like, but they certainly have the offense, especially if Bo Bichette gets back and gets back to top form. And, and look, with all the injuries, and it's it's remarkable to say, and I, I certainly don't want to sound homerish here, but with all the pitching that the Rays have lost, they could still go into some series here. And if they're lined up and they've got uh, Zach Eflin, Tyler Glass now, Aaron Savali, uh, and if they need a fourth starter, go with the fourth starter and have maybe Taj Bradley in that multi-inning, throwing 100-mile-an-hour role that we've seen them use some young guys in before. I mean, I remember that David Price guy did that role in 2008. It worked out pretty good. Yeah, he did okay, closing out the Boston <laughs> Red Sox. All right, Mark, thanks for doing this. Always great to talk with you. Anytime, Buster. All aboard. It's the Rabbit Train with Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage, Rabbit Train. Uh, of course, uh, the play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball, play-by-play man on a lot of Little League World Series and Ravi. Uh, you know, you had your time in Omaha, and now you're back in Williamsport, uh, and it's always fun. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, it never uh, it never gets old. The kids are, um, you know, the beautiful part of it's almost like the college and the fact that the kids are different every year. Although interesting, you know, given given Tennessee's success and where you went to college with Vanderbilt, but they always seem to have a team here, and now we got a team that's been here three years in a row from Nolensville, Tennessee. That's that's unheard of. The same coach has brought the same Little League program back three years in a row. Um, that, that's just one of the stories. If you haven't tuned into the Little League World Series yet, 
Um, and maybe Sunday's the day you kind of do that because the major leaguers are here with Philadelphia and Washington. It's been a little bit of a, of a micro look at Major League Baseball, Buster. We've had two combined no-hitters, one perfect game already for uh, Chinese Taipei. So pitching has won the day so far. But also like Major League Baseball, we will now move past the team's aces, their best pitchers, and we'll see a lot more offense. Um, defense has been incredible. Tim is, uh, you know, on cloud nine because he's here retelling his stories of how great these players are and the shortstops and standing up on the plate. Uh, and today also with that Tennessee team in action, we get to see, uh, I'm not sure it's the next coming of Monet Davis, but another uh, female on the Tennessee team who is one of their best pitchers, legitimate uh, pitcher, uh Tallest player on their team, terrific athlete, uh, and, and a great spokesperson for uh, girls and women and females in baseball. So, yeah, the storylines are great. The weather's going to be good. Last night we had some rain come through. We had a game end after four innings. Uh, but knock on wood, and I'm sitting at a table that's made of wood, I think we're in a, in a pretty good spot weather-wise for Sunday. That's been a bit of an issue the last few years. That'd be Stella Weaver you're referring to. Uh, she sounds yeah. like an interesting, uh, inter- interesting personality. I'm looking forward to meeting her. Uh, you talked about how uh, and what t- what jumps out of you as a player so far. Um, well, it, it, we did the game last night between um, New Albany, Ohio. Good, good team, really good. Uh, and they took on California. And as you know, uh, and anybody knows, when you when you come out of the West region, which has generally been Hawaii or Southern California, you, you you have a leg up on everybody. Um, and this is a group from El Segundo, California. And we had George Brett, the Hall of Famer, join us last night. He, of course, grew up in El Segundo. They're all very close with the uh, manager and the manager's father, who happens to be the attorney for Jerry West. It's a small but very close-knit mm-hmm. community. And I got a text from a former – I assume Adam Katz is still a current baseball agent. Uh, yeah. texted me and said, I live right next door to – the manager's uh, father. So th- th- that community is uh, very tight, very small, but this year they put together a terrific baseball team with three guys that are all way taller than you and me, Buster. Um, and last night, two <laughs> of them hit home runs, one off the glove of the center fielder, which was a terrific effort. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, uh, that, that's kind of what stood out so far. It's the pitching uh, has been dominant on the international side and the California kids, but I'm looking forward to seeing – Tennessee, and for the first time ever, Fargo, North Dakota. Has nice. A team, and they're playing today. Which yeah. I may be driving through next week when I get back to Montana. Uh, so There you go. Well, we, um, uh, you know, our game on Sunday night, of course, involves the Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies. We've been talking on the, on the podcast, it feels like the last three weeks, about the Phillies and how dangerous that team might be if it were to reach the postseason. Uh, the Nationals are playing better. Like they, Much better. I looked at look at the standings today. They're one game behind the Mets. You talk about something unlikely. Who would have guessed when the year started we'd be having a last place fight between the Nationals and the Mets? Uh, nobody. But uh, that that was that was Alec Cora's you know comment after the game yesterday. You you could you could see that while the Red Sox desperately needed wins. His point was, have you seen what Washington has been doing lately? They, they are a very, very difficult out. Kbert K- Ruiz has been terrific. They've gotten good enough pitching. Um, and, and look, I, I think a lot of times, and, and maybe there is going to be a lesson to be taken from this season when it comes to 
lineup construction, roster construction, uh, athleticism, youth, uh, you know, versus huge expenditures and, and veteran, veteran players, in particular pitchers. Um, but these, these Nationals, this was not going to be an easy series for the Phillies. Uh, we'll, we'll get into, I'm sure, discussions as we move towards the postseason to, to the point of the teams you don't want to see, like the Phillies if they get in, as you move forward and try to get in, one of the teams you don't want to see right now are the Nationals because of their ability to stay in games and to have – they have grinded out at bats, and they did that against the Red Sox in both of these uh, victories. So, yeah, they, they're, a, they're a team that looks competitive when they don't have a lot to compete for, while there are other teams that don't look competitive because they don't have a lot to compete for. Like, they've just kind of shut it down. Washington's the other way. Yeah, uh, and they're, of course, followed this unique strategy, uh, Mike Rizzo, as he's gone through this rebuild, building this team that puts the ball in play, which, you know, he, a little bit like Cleveland. You know, Cleveland has had that Mm -hmm. sort of team in recent years. So, you know, a good matchup. And and the best thing about I always feel like that Sunday when the major leaguers arrive is not only the, the little leaguers' reaction to the big leaguers, but more than that, the major leaguers' reaction to the little leaguers. Oh, it's the best. I always feel like that the players get so much energy uh, in, in the dog days of August, coming to Williamsport and having a reminder of why they fell in love with baseball in the first place. Yeah, yeah, I've thought a lot about that um, and why when they they come off the bus, they return to their youth. And clearly, when and we all know this, uh, when you're a major league baseball player. And you think about, um, like, the Yankees currently and the pressure and the anxiety and the stress every single day. You get off the bus in Williamsport and the adults in the room are out of the room. So you are now literally being fawned over by the kids, you know, that you once were looking up to these athletes and you, you're, you are, you're reminded of, wow. Like, not everybody hates us. Not everybody thinks we stink. Not everybody is looking at an at-bat and saying, you guys are terrible. Why did you swing at that pitch? These kids are open arms. You are my heroes. We love what you do. We haven't even thought about last night's game, last week's game, the slump you might be in, why the team is six games under 500. All of that gets washed away. So it is, it's like plugging in your – your phone that's dying with a battery and recharging it because yeah, like, uh, it's not so bad. Do you realize how, how envious uh, these kids are of us, how wonderful a life we have and just look at the way that they look at us that that can lift anybody's spirits, whether you're the nationals or you're, you're confirmed being the Phillies. It's uh, I think that's, that's the, that's really the reason like, all of the noise that these guys deal with every single day goes away, and that is incredibly refreshing. I, I think I would guarantee the last part of this that they enjoy is the actual game because it's a reminder, oh, that's right. We got a job to do. we we, we got to really win this game. We're in a race as opposed to can we go back to what those kids are doing and sliding down hills and hanging out and having fun and whether we win or lose, we're, we're good, we're okay. That's that's a neat part of this. That's the key during, part of this. I love during these games how any anytime any of these major leaguers hits the ball in the air, pop fly to short center Ooh. field. Oh yep. my god! 
<laughs> sound from the stands because the stands are filled yeah. 98%, as you know, with little leaguers. They're not like All there's the little a, leaguers, yeah. Yeah, it's not like there's a bunch of uh, grown ups ruining the event. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all exactly. little leaguers. Not a lot of booing going on. That's right. right. Which leads us to the Yankees. Perfect segue there, Carl. I think the Yankees would love to play in Williamsport this weekend. Uh, look, I think, I, be fresh. I think it'd be refreshing. Yeah, boy, Aaron Boone, our our friend and uh, colleague, uh, former colleague, their manager, uh, talked the other day about hey, teams go on unlikely runs. This would be a very unlikely run based on what we've seen. I mean, really, the turning point in their season came when Aaron Judge got hurt in Dodger Stadium on June 3rd, tweeted out this morning that since then they're 25 and 36. That's a, I mean, a, a win rate of almost, you know, just over 40%. They've averaged 3.8 runs per game. They look dead in the water. They got absolutely blown out by the Atlanta Braves. Uh, if it was a boxing match, they would have called it on the first game and they would have said, yeah. look, it's over. Um, how far does this abyss go? For the Yankees, and and what's your gut? Because we don't really know that. I know the Yankees well enough to know that their period of evaluation won't begin until right near the end of the regular season, if it the, in, they in fact are going to get eliminated, or right after we get into the uh, off season. How deeply does this, uh, you know, th- th- does this abyss go, and and what do you think is going to come out of it? Well, I I think there has to be, and I believe there will be some type of fundamental change and and whether that means that they change um executives meaning cashman manager or or they they abandon the philosophy that they've had which seemingly has been to bring in you know the the big hitter the uh the guy that hits the ball over the wall there's been kind of a consistent approach and clearly, since 09, their last World Series, uh, while it's been competitive, it hasn't won a championship. And it was highlighted, you know, in a lot of ways, Buster, by this series against the Braves, in which it was very clear one team was on one level and the other team was on a second. Um, and then that, that's very frustrating for an organization that prides itself on having more championships than any and believing that every year is a championship year. And if it's not, we failed. So <clears throat> whether it's a philosophical change within the organization, it can be done by the people there, or you change the people and you bring in a new philosophical approach. Uh, something has to change. You, I don't think you go into the season next year fairly status quo, but you could go in with Cashman and Boone, providing you somehow really radically change the altar uh, of the roster. The, the other part, which I think is really frustrating for fans, is while they're 25 and 36, and the turning point was Aaron Judge's injury, the frustration comes with, well, Aaron Judge has been back now a little while, and nothing's really changed. And, right. you know, we, we, we put this all on one guy, and, and here's sort of examples of, well, we're not much better with him than we were without him, and he may certainly be in a physically compromised position, but the composition of this roster doesn't compare or compete with the Houstons and the Braves and the Rays and the Orioles. I mean, you you go into a store and you see the Orioles and you see the Yankees, even though Judge and Stanton and Cole and the big names are on that Yankee team, which item are you taking off the shelf and thinking, wow, shiny new toy, uh, this is going to last for a little while longer. And this one over here is is sort of like, you know, the leaves on the plant are starting to limp a little bit. So, that there's a there's a philosophical change to me that that has to take place to kind of 
We all used to have to keep up with the Yankees as baseball organizations, and now maybe the Yankees have to shift to try to keep up with other teams. That's that's my my take. Yeah, what do and you it's think? Gonna, uh, well, I think it's going to be a test of a couple things. One, uh, you know, Brian Cashman, who's been through this for a lot of years, he's never had a losing season. This could be their first losing season since 1992. His mm-hmm. first in his tenure as general manager. You know, will he dramatically veer from some of the choices that he's made? Um, and will Hal Steinbrenner uh, veer from his uh, his operational philosophy? You know, I I, I love the, the the story of back in spring training when Hal was asked a question at the Yankee Spring Training Complex. You know, in these situations, do you think of, boy, what would George do? Uh, and, and, you know, his father. And he had this look on his face, a little bit of a smile, because I can't imagine two people more different than Hal and George. George is very reactionary. George was always looking to, you know, to blame somebody, to point the finger at somebody. Uh, and Hal is not that person. And I know that Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner believe in Aaron Boone as manager. Uh, but I am going to be curious with the fan base so unhappy. Will Hal Steinbrenner feel like, look, I got to do something uh, in terms of holding somebody accountable? And will Aaron Boone be the guy who winds up paying the price uh, for that? Uh, the other day, our friend Michael Kay was on his show, and man, he and Peter Rosenberg got into it. Give a listen to that. I think they thought they were going to be a lot better, but now <laughs> I think they see the flaw in that. This, I, I, just being honest, this does sound sort of like excuse making, though. Well, oh, I don't, I don't give a crap what it sounds like. I'm telling you the reasons why it's happening. If you people oh. want to say they're making excuses, I don't care anymore. I'm telling what? you the truth here. If you I, think I, it's I, making excuses, good, go crap in a lake. Okay. I don't care. What's the point of the truth? They got it wrong. They always get it wrong. No, you, that's, you can't, that's, that's ridiculous. They always get it wrong. For that, well, I, I, that is, over the last few years, they've gotten it wrong. Really? They repeatedly. went to the ALCS last year. And they got really got it so it. wrong. They, they won the American League East. They won the they American League East. The toughest Michael, division in baseball. They won 99 games. Astros. They always get it wrong. Wait, so you want fans to be happy that they got embarrassed by their arch rival? I'm not telling the, fans what to do. You can feel but, whichever but, way but, you want. I'm just telling the, you, you can't say they got it wrong when they won in the Final Four team standing. Wait, so but I can't say they got it wrong if the best thing they could achieve in the last three years was getting swept by their arch rival. Well, that's getting it that's wrong. That's your definition of wrong. Now, the Mets got it wrong this year, and the Yankees got it wrong this year. The Mets punted. The Mets all out straight up said we got it wrong. We're punting. The Yankees are refusing to do so when they should. All Peter's doing, Michael, is just backing up the words that they said. What did Judge call last year? He called it a failure that they lost to the Astros. I get it. I get it, but you can't say they they always get it wrong like they're a a bumbling organization that can't get out of its own way and doesn't make the postseason. That's stupid. You sound like a fan. I, and I must say, I know what what uh, Michael's saying. Like, it's not as if the Yankees front office had no plan and that they're complete idiots. They played the American League Championship Series last year. But the fact is, is that when it's gone this badly this year and the fan base is this unhappy, I mean, all of the New York baseball fan base is unhappy. You right. figure that there's going to be some significant change one form or another within the Yankees organization. I, I would think so, and I, look, I, I don't think changing the manager is the answer. The manager doesn't have right. the ability to turn these players into something that they once were. It, it's look, it's very, very hard as baseball fans and fans of the players as people to watch guys struggle. 
Like nobody enjoys that. At least I don't enjoy that. I, I'd much prefer to see DJ LeMahieu be as great as DJ LeMahieu has always been. I, I'd much prefer to see Giancarlo Stanton be the same guy we saw when he was dominating with the Marlins. Like that, that's just on a human level. I'd rather see everybody be at the top of their game and then let's throw it out and see how competitive these teams are going to be. There's no joy in watching a, a phenomenal athlete struggle, but a new manager isn't going to be able to, you know, take a, a pipette and drop some drops on someone's head. And all of a sudden they're great baseball players. Again, the reality is the organization and the teams, um, are now more dependent on younger players. Yes. I'm watching Little League with 10-year-olds who are shining like 12-year-olds. It's it's a reminder, like, all of this is becoming a – and, I, you know, Buster, I, I don't know. You tell me. I, I've had these conversations with my father and, and second, uh, you know, second cousins who are older, and everybody says to me, well, these are all – like, these are all cyclical. These things happen – and you bringing up that it's a younger person's game, do you realize how often we used to say that about sports? Meaning this isn't a new concept, but it, but it exists, and we're watching it. And with some of the rule changes, it is seemingly more real. So this idea that a manager change is somehow going to make these players better, that may that may help, but only when you change the players. I'm sorry. Um, to me, that's the way it works, and I, we've all seen managers get fired, and then they become managers of the year the next year somewhere else, or two years later. Francona, hey, Buck Showalter. Carl, Buck, Buck Showalter was examples. A, Buck Showalter's the manager of the year last year in the, in, in the National League. He right? didn't forget how to manage. He didn't change. There were injuries. The team got older. Verlander and Scherzer struggled. So it's not – it's not the manager, but it's very easy to use the manager as the scapegoat and let's make a change. I don't see, I don't see how that makes a huge difference here. I just don't, because I just think realistically, if you look at these other teams we've talked about currently, they're better than the Yankees. They yeah. are. Well, and that's why I think this, this uh, offseason is going to be interesting to challenge Hal Steinbrenner's uh, it, it, uh, instinct to not be reactionary to not give in to the the clamoring of the mob. And here's the part that if you're Steve Cohen, if you're Hal Steinbrenner, if you're you know Billy Epler, if you're Brian Cashman, you know this is that as as angry as that fan base gets, those fan bases get, guess what they will come back. <laughs> yeah. They're always going to be watching. I saw your rating from the Sunday night game, Braves, Mets, two teams in opposite directions. Yeah. You know what? It was a, it was an excellent rating. You know, you guys got it on Sunday. The, 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 the fans of the Mets and the Yankees will always pay attention to their team, no matter how frustrated uh, they get. Uh, the fans of the Dodgers right now are having a lot of fun because that team is rolling 11 straight wins. Um, I, I remember having a conversation early in July with someone within the Dodgers organization. I said, hey, what do you think you'll do before the deadline? He goes, I don't know, but I know that Andrew Friedman is going to kill it. Because every year he waits and waits and waits for the prices to get where he wants to pay them, and he winds up getting a guy who helps the team. He did it with uh, uh, with Manny Machado. He's done it with other players in the past, and this year he's done it with Lance Lynn, and he's done it with Kike Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario. They are freight train, and Carl, they're now within four games of the Braves for having the best record in baseball. Yeah, it's awfully impressive. Um, 
when Dave Roberts sits in a meeting, you get the impression that regardless of the storm that's going on around him, he fully believes in the clubhouse. He believes in Friedman. He believes in the organization. There is a peace around him, and that, that may be because of their success for sure and the fact that uh, you know they won it in 20, uh, and, and he likes his players. And You have Freemans and Betts, and they're, and they're, they're doing great. Um, I, I, I wasn't certain that the Dodgers were going to be as good as they currently are and feel like now um, a threat to the Atlanta Braves because when you watch the Braves, and we've done a handful of Braves games, we've done some Dodger games, We've seen the Braves, you know, at their best, and they've been at their best most of the year. We've seen the Dodgers when you're like, wow, is this, this feels different. You know, they're not, they're not pitching the ball at all. They do have a bunch of injuries. And yet, in the end, or at least currently, Lynn looks like one of the great, you know, acquisitions that you could ever have because he pitches innings, he keeps the team in it, and the offense is now apparently going to score enough runs, whether it's one like last night or six or seven. Um, and you're right about Kike and Ahmed. It's like he Friedman knew we don't need to make the dramatic move. Here are the issues. You literally have it's like a punch list on a new home. Here are the things that we do need to address. You know, the light switch doesn't work here. There's a paint chip there. Uh, and when this door squeaks, can you address those three things? Light switch done, Lance Lynn, paint, Kike Hernandez done. Uh, door squeaks, Ahmed Rosario, sure. Oh, yeah, and I think I heard a noise there. Let's just plug Joe Kelly in just in case because that will address that noise. And it's all worked so far, and the Dodgers are uh, are feeling probably as invincible as any other. And when you go into a postseason series with Orius back and Kershaw, who clearly is not the same guy, but he's figured out how to navigate through this. Like to be like an old Verlander, <laughs> yeah, he and Verlander have just figured this whole thing out, where there are going to be a whole bunch more wins for them, and they clearly are not what they were even last year. But they are gonna give you a chance to win. Uh, you go into a postseason series with the names uh, and Freeman and Betts that they have, and JD Martinez. Why can't we win this thing? Are you kidding me? I don't care who the Braves are. We, we can win this without question, and that's, that's a great feeling to have. Lance Lynn so far with the Dodgers, 25 innings pitched, one earned run, five walks, and 25 strikeouts. So they've been terrific. You mentioned uh, you know, Justin Verlander. Before you go, give me, a, give me a minute on the question of whether or not Justin Verlander can win 300 because his win the other night was number 252. He passed Bob Gibson. I think he's got Carl Hubble ahead of him. And I sent out on Twitter, yeah, you know what? He, he's got 300 in his sights, and uh, I think there's a chance he's going to get there. And there were so many responses of, yeah, no chance. Yep, no, no chance. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry you don't know the guy. <laughs> like the yeah. guy right now is locked in on the idea of becoming the last guy to win 300. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be really hard. I don't think it's going to be because of who he is. I think it's because of what your body tells you. And the reason I, undefeated. The re, yeah, and the reason I say that is because having having been with ESPN for 30-plus years and having at one point in my career there followed the PGA Tour and covered Tiger Woods in the prime of his career, the 99s and the 2000s, it felt like forever this guy was going to shatter Jack Nicholas's record for major championships. And, and he, he kept climbing and climbing and climbing. And in the end, he didn't get there. 
And Verlander, in a lot of ways, feels like 250 is going to become 260 and 270. And it's, it's almost like a car going up a hill. And you're like, where we're going 60. And now we're going 50. And now it's 30. And I think the wins are going to be harder to come by. And I'm not, I don't, I don't think he gets to 300 and it has nothing to do with his desire or the person. That's, that's just a lot of wins over the next few years. It's not going to be for lack of effort, but I, I think he's on that same level as a competitor and certainly at his prime, he's as good a pitcher as I've ever seen. I just think at some point that the tank just runs so low that that number becomes such a, a shooting star and you just can't get there. But it's going to be fun to, to watch him try to do that. And I know this, he'll put himself on teams that afford him the opportunity to win. Yes. And that helps. Yeah. You know, with Max Scherzer and with Clayton Kershaw, I think there's a – you get the sense that with both those guys that there's going to be a point where if they're not pitching, to, you know, to the to point of dominance that they're accustomed to, that they that they need – that they will go, you know what, I'm going to the house. With Justin, yep. I yep. think it's going to be, you know what, 300 is a big number and I'm going after it. And if he has yep. a couple, needs to have a couple of years where he's going, you know, 10 and 8 with, uh, you know, with the first division team working as the number four starter, I think he'll do it, knowing yep. the importance of that number. All right, Carl, thanks for doing this, and I will see you on Sunday. All right, look forward to it. Thanks. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one and done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com, and also a podcast fill-in on the Baseball Tonight podcast on Monday. Sarah, thanks for doing that. Of course. Thank you so much for having me do that. I had so much fun, and thanks again so much to Sarah and Bruce. I had so much fun with that. That was awesome. 
Yeah, I'm sorry you had to wade through, you know, Taylor and Sarah, Bruce, with all the work that, I mean, just you're, you're swimming upstream against them, right? T- right, Taylor? Yeah. Buster, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Come on. We, we do a great job over here. Pick rocks. But go swim in the lake, Buster. Maybe angry. <laughs> they absolutely do. Uh, so, Sarah, yesterday I'm watching Julio Rodriguez go off, uh, you know, five hits following a four-hit day. Uh, he, he's uh, he, he's going nuts. You know, one of the coolest things I always feel like watching baseball is the full blossoming of young players because we hype these guys significantly as they got to the big leagues. And when they go through struggles initially sometimes or they have periods where they slump a little bit, there's always the question of whether or not they're going to be a bust. And then so it's really cool to see them just go absolutely go off. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. is another, another example of that in recent days. What have you seen in Julio Rodriguez? I was going to say exactly what you said about Bobby Witt, and it's so funny because they were both on the field yesterday, and you kind of have this microcosm of exactly what you're talking about. But I love seeing yesterday and the last few days from Julio. really feels like as the Mariners have started their second-half push, just like last year, he is all of a sudden the player that won Rookie of the Year last year. And, you know, his first half was good, and they came back in the second half and had a home run, a while minus whatever, 40 million in the home run derby. And then he became this player we've seen. And it's just great to see because we see how much he means as kind of an emotional leader for that Mariners team. And you really saw that yesterday. Yeah, and he's the sort of player dynamic enough that uh, you know, in a in a race among a lot of mediocrity uh, in the wild card uh, chase, where he could lift the Mariners. Like he seems capable of doing that. Where if he goes on a a, a streak, kind of like Vladimir Guerrero did a few years ago, is uh, you know the Jays made a run for the playoffs. Uh, it feels like Julio Rodriguez could be a player that could propel the Mariners into the postseason. All right, let's play the uh, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is nine. So speaking of Julio, as you said, five hits yesterday, four the day before. Twenty-two years old. So at twenty-two years and two hundred thirty-one days old, he was the youngest player with nine hits in a two-game span. Since Frankie Hayes in 1936. Amazing mm. that it was almost 100 years ago. So long ago. And just to see that here he is doing this. And we've had so many great young players. I mean, I was surprised to see that Soto or Cunha, any of these guys, or anyone else since 1936 had not done this at that young of an age. And his 12 hits in the entire series, which was quite the roller coaster for the Mariners, were the most in a series of any length in Mariners history. So here again, second year in the lead, this is a team that had Ichiro, and he has the most hits in any series in the franchise history. Number two. Number two is 232. So that's how many home runs the Braves have so far this season. 120 games, a nice round number, and during the weekend. 
That is the second most for any team through 120 games in MLB history. The 2019 Twins had 233. But if we pace it out, so those 2019 Twins set the all-time single-season record with 307 home runs. If we pace out what the Braves are on pace to do through 162, 313. So not just to break the record by one or two, to break it by a handful there. And I have no doubt they're going to do this. Number one. Number one is 78. So I thought we should update uh, for Taylor back here today since I didn't get to chat with him on Monday. Uh, the most consecutive series of at least two games without being swept. The Orioles are now up to 78, which is the fourth longest streak entering the weekend. 1942-44 Cardinals were at 125-03, that's 1903, and 1905 Giants, 106-1922-24 Yankees, 83. And as we've discussed, this began with Adley Rushman being called up. So they were actually not swept in the series right before he was called up. So Adley Rushman has this sort of personal streak going of 77, one fewer. That is the second longest for any player to start his career behind a guy named Whitey Kurowski, who was <laughs> on those Cardinals. His streak actually started in 1941 because he played in a few series, and then he didn't play when they were swept at the beginning of 42. His streak spanned 1941 to 44, but it was only 110 of those series because he didn't play every day. So Adley Rushman kind of chasing that guy, but really the Orioles are just chasing what they've been doing all year for now, basically two seasons. Yeah, pretty remarkable number for sure. Um, all right, Sarah, before you go, I know you and Tim talked about the Phillies and how dangerous they might be in the postseason. I'm going to take the Phillies out of this question I'm going to ask you and ask you to pick among the other wild card contenders now. Don't include any of the teams leading the, their respective divisions. But which among the team wild card contenders other than the Phillies do you think might be dangerous in October? Oh, my gosh. I mean – you know, one thing I think of immediately is good bullpen. And for that, I think of Camilo Doval and how I would not want to face Tranquilo Camilo in any situation after October 1st. Now, I don't know if the Giants starting pitching is deep enough in October, but certainly in that early series, I think they're set up really well. They've had some offensive struggles, but I think in the postseason, Logan Webb and Camilo could carry them to a point. I also wonder what we could see from the Cubs. I mean, maybe I'm just colored by the fact that Christopher Morrell and that walk-off home run was one of the most electric moments of the season two nights ago, the way he was celebrating around the bases. But I do think that beyond the Phillies, those teams are not nearly as dangerous on the whole. And I think you can make an argument for each of them. I mean, maybe even, I mean, 
I don't know if the Marlins are going to get that spot. You know, I'm saying Cubs, maybe the Marlins end up there. Sandy has been really good lately. I wouldn't want to face him either. Yeah, the Cubs are, uh, I mean, that that moment the other night was phenomenal. I wish I had put it in the rundown uh, at the top of the show. Uh, Taylor, drop that in here. And the 1-2, swinging a drive toward right center. Back goes Robert. Back near the stands. That ball is gone. A game-winning home run for Chris Morrell. Can you believe it? Listen to this crowd. And I'd say the team, Sarah, that uh, is interesting to me among the wildcard teams, the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, lead the majors in pitching. They've got that great rotation, but they need Bo Bichette to come back and be an effective player as he comes off the injured list. All right. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America or all around the world. Todd, how are you doing this week? Doing well, Buster. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Hey, I got a question for you before we get into this week's Forgotten Field and this week's quiz. Have you been to the Little League World Series in Williamsport? I have never been. It's one of those, I don't know if I would call it a bucket list item, but a pure baseball experience that I would love to experience. So maybe sometime we ought to think about, because now you're closer where you're living in Philadelphia. Uh, Maybe we talk about you going out there because I'd love to see you go down on the cardboard. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that, 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 you know, that the players go down when they join the little leaguers. That might be a lot of fun. That could be I, fun video for next year. Sign me up, Buster. I'm there. Maybe. And uh, yeah, Taylor, Sarah. Yeah. I mean, maybe next year, maybe that's where the, you know, the, the group get together is in Williamsport and you guys could go and check out the, uh, the little league world series. What do you think? Ooh, that could be fun. I like the idea of us. I feel like we should all go down on the cardboard together and we'll have like Ravi at the bottom of the hill taking a video or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. All right, Todd, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. All right, Buster, Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium served as home to the Braves for three decades. It was part of a generation of multi-purpose cookie-cutter venues or concrete donuts, utilitarian structures similar to those that sprung up across the land in Phoenix, or excuse me, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and other American cities in the 1960s and 70s. Atlanta Stadium was more than just that, however. It was instrumental to Mayor Ivan Allen's campaign to make Atlanta a world-class city and the de facto capital of the Deep South. In 1963, Kansas City Athletics owner Charles O. Finley paid a visit to Atlanta to look at potential stadium sites, but that potential move went nowhere. A few months later, a group of Georgia officials traveled to Cleveland to meet with MLB executives at that season's All-Star Game hoping to attract a Major League Baseball team. In the spirit of build it and they will come, the city of Atlanta embarked upon a crash project on what would become an $18 million structure, conveniently close to downtown and easily accessible to three major interstate highways. Construction began in March 1964, and on November 10th, 1964, the Milwaukee Braves signed a 25-year lease to play there. An antitrust suit filed by the city of Milwaukee postponed this move for a year, but the stadium proceeded forward. It was completed in just 51 weeks, and for one season, 1965, it served as the home of the minor league Atlanta Crackers. The Braves' first regular season game was played there on April 12, 1966. 50,671 fans showed up, 
future Hall of Famer Joe Torre hit the first major league home run, and the Atlanta Braves were on their way. NFL expansion delivered the Falcons later that year. They called Atlanta Stadium home until 1992 when they moved into the Georgia Dome. Over the decades, the Braves had their share of memorable moments there. Arguably, the most famous took place on April 8, 1974, when Braves icon Hank Aaron launched his 715th career home run, breaking Babe Ruth's career mark. Some fun facts. Atlanta Fulton County Stadium had the highest elevation in Major League Baseball until the National League expanded to Colorado in 1993. At 1,050 feet above sea level, the ballpark was referred to as the launching pad. It was designed to accommodate a roof, which would have added $10 million to the cost. Finally, Felipe Alou was the first member of the Braves to come to bat there. His son Moises, playing for the Montreal Expos, was the last regular season batter there. Wow. With the end of, yeah, how about that? Bookends. With the end of the original 25-year lease closing in, the Braves began looking at other options. The stadium was structurally sound, but it lacked revenue-generating amenities, and maintenance was a constant issue, along with the once-desirable round configuration. Club president Stan Caston mused, can you play baseball there? Sure you can. Can you play football there? Sure you can. We just want a better place, a place that is competitive with the modern-day stadiums built only for baseball. Team officials spoke of moving the Braves to the northern suburbs with an eye toward a baseball-only stadium in Gwinnett County, but global events soon intervened. On September 18, 1990, Atlanta was awarded the 1996 Summer Olympic Games, thus securing Ivan Allen's dream of making Atlanta a world-class city. A deal was reached whereby the Braves would inherit a new Olympic stadium once the Games concluded. This coincided with a golden era as the Braves emerged from absolute nowhere to appear in four World Series over the ballpark's final six years, winning it all there on the night of October 28, 1995. I was in Section 126, Row 16, Seat 103. The final game at Atlanta Stadium took place just about a year later when the Braves lost to the New York Yankees in Game 5 of the 1996 World Series. The Braves moved across the street to brand-new Turner Field, which was itself replaced after just 20 seasons. In January 2021, the hearse carrying the casket of the late Hank Aaron turned slowly onto Hank Aaron Drive toward an otherwise nondescript parking lot which marks the exact location where his record-breaking homer cleared the left field wall. Go there, and you can see the circular outline of what was the stadium's outer wall, as well as the footprint of what used to be the baseball diamond. Head for the small wall that commemorates where Hank Aaron's 715th homer landed, and think about what that historic night must have been like at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, which is this week's Forgotten Field. All right, so you give us quizzes every week, and I'll give you a couple of quiz questions uh, today regarding Hank Aaron's 715th home run. Uh, do you know who he, who allowed that home run? Al Downing. That would be correct, of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And who caught the home run? Tom House in the bullpen. That's exactly right. The uh, reliever for the Atlanta Braves. And, boy, was he excited. You know, you could see he and, and his teammates uh, from the bullpen – uh, racing to be at home plate to uh, to celebrate that uh, that historic home run. So very nicely done by you. Well, thank you very much. Do I win a prize or anything, Buster? No, no. You already uh, have a lifetime contract. You know, that's right. the way it goes. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. All right. Well, 
Here we are again. We're going to make a baseball road trip. Are we ready? So which one of these journeys is the longest in terms of miles driven? Is it A, Camden Yards in Baltimore to Citizens Bank Park in Philly? Is it B, Petco Park in San Diego to Angel Stadium in Anaheim? Is it C, Citizens Bank Park to City Field in New York? Or is it D, Wrigley Field to American Family Field in Milwaukee? So let me just repeat the whole thing, because I know it's a lot. The longest in terms of miles driven, Baltimore to Philly, Petco Park to Angel Stadium, Citizens Bank Park to City Field, or Wrigley Field to Milwaukee. Now, this is as the crow flies, or is this uh, miles on a highway? Miles on a highway. Well, we know that the longest drive would be Citizens Bank to City Field, correct? I mean, would you would we all agree that <laughs> going into New York City that that would be a uh, that would be haul? No, mm, buying it. I don't know that that uh, San Diego to Anaheim drive. I feel like could take a while. Yeah. Miles, not hours. Miles. I know, I know. That's what I, I yeah. So I'm I don't want to reveal my thinking, but you know when you were talking about length of time in the car, Buster. I think that might overtake it, but um, I guess I'll go first because I'm yeah, speaking. Okay, here. so let's go. Sarah, do you want to have the first? Do you want to go first? I do not want to go first, but I will <laughs> go first. I'm going to go D. Wrigley Field to, to Milwaukee. <laughs> I don't know, wow. guys. I'm so bad at geography. <laughs> you, you talked about taking road trips. You've driven across America, Sarah. I you have told driven me this. across America. But and I also have spent a lot of time in California. That's where I'm initially from. And so I was on the same page as Taylor where I'm like, oh, this is like time in the car. Easy, easy. That's the L.A. But now. Now, I don't know. So I'm going D. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What do you got? Mm, I've done. I've basically done all of these drives before. Yeah, me too. (sighs) I, and they're all pretty close. I'd say that they Todd. are. They you, are. You this is a good one. They're all oh, the I, I compiled these answers for a reason. There's Buster. one that I'm eliminating right off the bat. Uh, I'm not going to tell Taylor what that uh, is, though. So Taylor, you I, can continue. I I also want to go D. I feel like just just pure flat highway between those two. About the same time, but yeah, I'm going to go D. I'm going to go Baltimore to Philly. Well, you are all incorrect because Buster was originally right. Citizens Bank Park in Philly to City Field is 117 miles. <laughs> Camden Yards to Citizens Bank Park is 99. Petco My Park goodness. to Angel Stadium, 95. And finally, Wrigley to Milwaukee. It's all highway once you get out of Wrigleyville, pretty much, right? I guess yeah. 90 That's miles. The year of overthinking, Todd. Man. Yeah, the, the year, year of overthinking. Of overthinking. Yes, but... Yeah, well, you know, you know, the whole thing with City Field, you've got to get, you got to go through, you've got to get out to Queens, so that adds on a little bit of extra time. Yeah. So I should have gone with my first instinct. What oh, are you gonna well, do? Opportunity lost. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the dog days of August. I don't think any of us <laughs> have gotten any of the August questions correct. So we'll have the breakthrough once we uh, once we get into September. Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, guys, thanks. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. Steven Shulman at Pro Bono Dude writes, and I admire TB, but not sure why folks are still bullish on the Rays since May 11th when they stood at 30 and 9. They are 
43 and 41, and their roster certainly isn't better. They will be lucky to get in the third wild card spot. You disagreed with Steven on Wednesday's version of Bleacher Tweets. Yeah, I, I do. I, I look, it's not like when I, I mean, think about the, the other teams in the wild card race. You know, they have stretches where they're as the Yankees have. We talked about them, you know, 25 and 36 since the judge injury. The Rays, since that incredible start, are 43 and 41. They're above 500. They're actually holding their head above water. I think they'd have to give up a lot of games in the standings, and teams that are chasing them are not immortal teams. I don't think they're going to be lucky to get a third wild card spot. I think it is going to be a challenge. But the fact that they have Tyler Glass now and Zach Eflin, I think, is a good start for them. And they do have lineup depth, and they do have that culture where it's next man up in a way that, for example, it doesn't feel like the Yankees have had it. <laughs> I love I love us diving into the Yankees abyss today. A lot of fun for me. You just love the the Yankee the Yankee you know us crushing the Yankees. You know what else I love, Buster? I love the Red Sox losing to the Nationals. That is a lot of fun for me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like are the Red Sox. Does anyone think the I don't know? I don't even know how many games separate the two teams. I'm guessing about six or seven games. Does anybody think the Red Sox are are like poised at this moment to overtake Tampa Bay? I don't see it. No. Nah. Yeah, I feel like they're really the the only fringe team with maybe like a, a slight pulse. But I mean, you lose. Yeah, I'm looking at it. They're nine games ahead of the Red Sox. <laughs> like, are the Red Sox going to run them down? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Like the the Rays, uh, they're 73 and 50. They got a winning percentage at close to 600 for the season. They'd have to give up a ton of ground. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvotion. He writes in, do you think Madison Bumgarner will ever throw another pitch in yes. a regular? Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah, uh, he will. I think I think he'll find his way back. Um, you know, I, I mentioned uh, at the time that uh, he was cut free by the Diamondbacks that, hey, maybe he would, uh, you know, land with the Texas Rangers and his former manager, Bruce Bochy. Uh, I would not be surprised if he sort of, uh, you know, sort of re- redesigns his uh, his pitching during the course of this upcoming offseason and winds up signing with another team. Reds will win the NL Central. Chris Brock, bold proclamation here. He says, when does Matt McLean start to get more love for NL Rookie of the Year? Corbin Carroll has been the runaway favorite all year, but McLean leads all rookies in average OBP. Slugging OPS uh, is closing in on Carroll for B-War. So many uh, acronyms there, even though McLean has played 37 less games this season. Yeah, uh, he still has a mountain to climb in front of him to be in that comp to overcome Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll at this point is a prohibitive favorite to win the Rookie of the Year. Um, will they win the Central? I don't think so. I think the Cubs are going to win it. They, they're playing with a lot of momentum. Their offense has gotten better. And I just think the Brewers are just a team that doesn't necessarily have the sort of uh, firepower to keep up with them as the Cubs gather momentum. John Lewis at Johnny Ballgame 44 writes in, why is there more talk about the Orioles sweepless streak? Where might this rank in the universe of, of streak impressiveness? Well, Sarah brought it up today, and I think we brought it up before as well. And I let's face it, Taylor, at nobody, at no podcast has talked more about the Orioles than this one. Wouldn't you agree? Let's make oh, that absolutely clear. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Sarah, uh, you, you're a fair-minded person. Would you agree with that statement? Oh, absolutely. I would agree with that statement. <laughs> it's probably so annoying for Sarah and Bruce just hearing me yell. Even <laughs> even when we're not recording me yelling about the Orioles in the office. It's, it's Well, it's Bruce, fun. at this point, probably doesn't even want to talk about baseball, given what's going on with the Mets. Bruce, what do you think about the idea 
that the Mets might finish in last place after winning 101 games last year. Who would have thought we'd be talking about the Nationals or the Mets for last place in the NL East? I'm maintaining my position that I am just enjoying watching the young guys get better every time Francisco Alvarez is at bat. I light up. I mean, hey, I watched a part of the game last night, but focus on the young guys. Kodai Senga is my guy. I got my Kodai jersey over there. I'm focusing, focusing on the positive. That's just all, all I can do. Company a glass man. half full Mets fan. You know what? You know, in New York, among New York baseball fans, that is a hard thing to find right now. So, Bruce, a uh, lot of respect for you. It's a lot easier living in Connecticut not being actually in New York. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to uh, Mark Topkin, to Carl, Sarah, Todd, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.